Hello and welcome back to Brony Music History. It's the podcast where we talk about the history of Brony Music. Today, after a break, we're asking ourselves the time-honoured question. Does it sound good at 170? And we're talking today with an artist who's definitely figured out the answer, because it's definitely yes. Quickly making his mark in late 2012 with his up-tempo Happy Hardcore, Freeform and Gabba Productions, Additive Subtractive became a pillar of the burgeoning pony rave scene. After his convention debut in 2013, for a period it was almost impossible to spot a lineup without him, and his high-energy performances rocked Electronic Pony Carnival, Brony Palooza, and Trotcon and Brony Can against many others. From Illinois, please welcome Additive Subtractive. Oh, hello. Great to be here. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, yeah. How's, how's things in, um, in, in where you are? Well, uh, after it being sub-freezing for the last day, um, it's been okay. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's weird. Like it's it's middle of summer down here. It's like scorching outside, um, but um, yeah, freezing there. So, welcome to welcome to the upside down world of living in opposite sides of the world. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, so we're here to talk about pony music um, as well as the weather. Um, so I want you to take your mind back to before you started listening, um, b- before you started watching pony. Um, you got into music well before you uh, started watching the horse show, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, for so probably... Oh, my God. If we if we go back that far, um, the earliest adventure into uh, just dance music in general is probably... I had a buddy in high school who played a bunch of dance tracks for me um so we're talking 2003 2000 at the at the earliest eh, yeah 2003 sounds about right and then i had a buddy of mine who burned me a cd of just sorted like mix cd tracks um various like happy gabber and happy hardcore albums just like the raw cuts of like the mix tracks of them so you like you wouldn't hear like the previous songs or the songs that they were mixing into they were just like those kind of like how when you get a mix cd they like they like splice them in various moments yep yep so it was, it was the collections of those kind of songs all burned onto a cd and so like between what my buddy played for me and then what this girl had burned a cd for me i was like okay this is really cool because all i've been exposed to was just like normal uh like top 40 songs but then like growing up i heard a lot of like 90s dance um and then that that sort of era like you know aqua ace of Base, real mccoy um those kind of things so like between that and like what I had heard from my later years, it was like I kind of put the two together. I was like, okay, so this is a thing, uh, and I really like I really like leaning into this sort of like music. Yeah, yeah, and and you were sort of around for the renaissance of hardcore in the early to sort of mid, um, you know, mid 
experiencing that, that renaissance in the, the sort of mid 2000s um and you sort of chose hardcore as your main genre of um pr production and djing how did you get into the pony show um and did you did you see the show first or did you experience the music first oh yeah so um i mean as a follow-up to that yeah like the the hardcore i focused more on um years years and years before um it was essentially like as i was late high school uh i picked up my first set of turntables i started buying records and stuff there was a record store that was like in the downtown area of my city that i would go to and uh pick up vinyls so uh i early on started vinyl mixing happy hardcore and gabber and things like that um and so we flash forward to, geez, uh, not a decade later, but yeah, probably about five, six years later. Uh, I've already established myself with this genre. I've done my own production, kind of dabbled in things back and forth, just kind of like learned off and on with um, a couple of buddies of mine. We had done songs, collaborated, wrote, written our own things, kind of traded notes back and forth. Now we move to... 2010 and that's when i've kind of like cemented what i like then we move on to 2011 show has already been out but the summer of 2011 um i i had been a member of 4chan off and on for many years at this point as well uh so i guess maybe late 2010 or something i had seen memes floating around <laughs> and i was like okay you know you see these things and you just kind of you kind of adapt you don't really look at them like okay why is somebody doing this you just adapt you, you're like I, I see it i accept it but early 2011 i'm like why do people keep memeing on this like mlp looking thing is it is it something to like know about? There's enough people talking about it that it seems like it's either it's either something that's going to be really good or something that is worth shit posting about. So let's look into it. And so summer of 2011 rolls around. Um, I look up the show and I download like the first episode or first two episodes. Or something. I can't remember what it is. Because, like, my buddy had recommended, he's like, hey, let's check it out see what happens. Because we just needed something to do. It was summer and we were just bored or whatever out of our mind. So we go to watch it and the first episode goes by and we're like, well, we can't stop here. We got to watch <laughs> So we watched the second episode and we were like, this is actually pretty good. I can see why people are into this. It's like, it was it was a fresh angle. For for people who had like grown up with um, basically everything Cartoon Network related, things like that, and then had a huge background in anime at that point as well, um, the production was tight, um, voice acting was good, story was solid, and you're just like, this is a kids show, but it's presented so well, so. 
your your brain does a flip flop, and you're just like, all right, cool, like let's check it out and see what happens from there. So I did. So I checked it out from there. Yeah. So that was definitely definitely before the music I had ever heard anything. I watched the show. Yeah, sweet. And did any of the music in the show jump out at you, or did you discover the music through the fandom itself? So I have to I have to take my uh, I have to take my uh, my one card play play my play my hand right or whatever. Uh, everyone everyone hears the sample. Do you know what the sample is? Is it yay? It's it's a, a essentially. What what's the other sample associated with that? Um, louder, the louder sample. There it is. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Very first time I heard that episode, unprovoked, I was like, "This is this could be a, this could be a really good sample." Yep. And so, you look at the first Pink Amina Party album. Yep. My first ever release on it on an album related to the show is is the louder. Uh, track that I did, um, and that was that was still as uh, DJ Burst, wasn't that? Yes, that was that was my it's my it's my current alias that I use for DJing production. I, I've always had that name for. So that is a name that's been around kicking since two thousand eight, no, two thousand four. So we're talking yeah, this yeah. Is a years old name. That I've that I've used and and I just used that because I didn't I didn't have an alias at the time. Yep. So it's just what I used. Yeah. Cool. And so you so you really you're coming in with a background, a, a, you know, at, at least some knowledge of music production, um, you know, and enough that your your first real phantom contribution is is quite a quite a well produced track, especially for the time. Um, do you feel like that set you apart from a lot of the music that other people were releasing at the time? Um, and you, you know, how, how did, how did you feel about it? The reception that it got once it was released? I remember the first, um, version of the song that I sent to Zovi, uh, Zovi heard it, checked it out and then sent back to me, it's good, but make it harder. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to try something different. And the second version made it onto the album. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, given we're talking about um, Louder, um, let's just give that one a spin uh, first off um, as sort of one of your first big fandom contributions. Um, because, yeah, that I mean, that sample, it, it is the classic sample. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's give that one a spin and I'll uh, we'll let that play out.
And I think we'll let that fade out from there because, um, unlike so many songs in that era, you do actually understand the value of a good DJ intro. Um, and yeah, we love a good kick drum. We, we love a good minute I kick receive, drums. I received mad criticism for a lot of the releases of my songs because I grew up in the era of fully DJ friendly tracks. And so the way I construct all of my songs was always like, you're getting like a 60 far bore intro, dude. Like, it's like, what do you want from me? And they're like, they'd be like, oh man, this is, I, I, I always remember the one, like this, like some dude said, commented, oh, this makes my ears cold. And I'm like, it's a fucking DJ intro. Just skip ahead. <laughs> I, need to, I, need, I need to start releasing like radio edits of all of my songs, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I think that's what most people would do, but also most people just release the radio edit and never the DJ friendly version. So I'm, I'm always eternally grateful as a DJ. And I, I think that brings us to a good point as well. Like, you know, from your very first songs, it, it, it feels like they've always been produced with the intention of live performance in mind. Um, like, you know, if you're going to, make an intro like that it's, it's because you want to dj with it and you started djing like very early into your time in the fandom um so when do you remember what your first convention was that you attended we have to go back to oh my god it's either it's either late 2012 or early 2013 cloudsdale congress is the first time that um somebody gave me a shot and it's because of Canterlot Gardens which was definitely 2012 so Cloudsdale Congress was 2013 early yep. 2013 it was like I think March because I do remember my birthday being associated around that time but um, yeah so late 2012 I met a couple of people who were running Cloudsdale Congress and that was the first one I got to play for yeah, and so you, you'd had an experience playing at conventions before, playing at like anime conventions and, and doing that sort of thing. So what, how, how was your set received? Did you, did you enjoy playing for the bronies? Um, like, yeah, just what, 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 was the, what was it like in, you know, early 2013 at, at, at con concerts? My first set was played. I got off stage and Alex S told me that he loved my set because he recognized all the early hardcore that he also listened to. Mad. And the set I played was primarily my music mixed with a couple other things. Yeah, sweet. And did, did, did you feel inspired after that to go chasing more convention bookings? And, uh, and also, did it change the way you sort of approached your production as well? It was neat because... Um, I, I knew Alex uh, a little bit. Um, people knew him more who were there, but I, I knew him offhand from other things he had done. So, like, the fact that somebody who was producing at his level, to me, this is just, like, a personal thing, but somebody who was producing at his level, to me to say something like that, it was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Because he game recognizes game, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I feel like... I in my past I knew what I was doing. So I wanted to continue with what I was doing. And um yeah, that that led to the next 
uh, 13, 16. So that, yeah, the next three years, essentially, of uh, just hardcore producing, touring, doing whatever I could to book shows. I was putting my name out. I was getting invitations, whatever. It, it was, it was, it was, it was give and take nonstop for three years. Yeah. And, and it, like just looking through convention lineups from that era it's 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 crazy like additive subtractive is on like i reckon you're on, like you'd be on you would have been on probably at least half of the conventions um sort of through that period maybe maybe a bit less but it just seemed like so many when i was researching how did you see the convention and like the music scene um firstly but also like specifically the the convention scene evolve um over those couple of years yeah, so if we go, if we take back a little bit, um, you had asked me about if I had if I knew anything about the music before, and what was interesting was what jumped me into everything was n not the fact that I knew about the music scene. It wasn't until I had a couple ideas dropped that I knew about the music scene. Interestingly enough, I didn't know this was a thing. I just was like, this is a cool show. I'm going to rip some samples from it uh, at my leisure and and make some songs based on just, like, goofy ideas that I have. Not even, like, ideas inspired by the show. Just, like, I'm just sampling off of it and being silly. It was not until a couple, like, later that I even discovered that there were people doing the same thing I was doing that were, like, way more heavily into the show but more so heavily into this like background sort of music movement. We think of Toast Weird. We yep. think of um, the uh, Balloon Party releases. We think of uh, all the early sort of uh, sprinkling of people that were doing stuff that were like, okay, we watched the show, we liked the show, and we're going to produce things based wholly on it and i was sort of a okay here's here's where everyone is in the street in the in the main line and then i'm kind of off on the side because like we, we we take the fandom artists yep and we take the people doing like the toast beard stuff they all sit in the same realm because they have the same inspiration i was a little bit off to the side i think i feel for a long time i was yeah yeah well and did like did did that feeling ever like did you ever like change the way you produced your music because of that feeling like eventually or did you were just like nah i know what i'm good at i'm just gonna keep rolling with it no i i i started to bleed that into me enjoying the show mm -hmm. and understanding the implications behind what i was doing and i was like you know what at at, at the end of the day um enough people are doing the same thing I'm doing. They just have different intention focused on the show. I'm going to try to make my intention on what is participating in the community. Yeah, sweet. So, and I never really got any notoriety. That's the weird thing. I was getting shows left and right, but nobody knew who I was. It was like, it was like I was maintaining my underground presence, but also being part of the community. Yeah. And it, it is, it is one of those weird things where, um, like, if, like online you're, you know, you're like, you a lot of your music has like respectable numbers, 
but you know it's you know you're not in the sort of hundreds of thousands of views or whatever but i've played you know tons of your tracks out and they always get a good response people always know them and i, I feel like in in so many ways like like you know as someone who wasn't around for that time your the like your the impact you made in a live setting uh is is like nothing i've really ever experienced because people just people just know your music even if they can't say oh that's additive subtractive it's like yeah love and friendship i love love and friendship i can sing along to love and friendship i know all the words don't know who made it um which i think is very much reflects on sort of how how live focused a lot of your creation was um just i, I don't know if that's do, do you agree with that does that does that sound like i don't know does that does that sound like it's rooted in reality um there's a uh, really fun. Um, <laughs> there's a really fun Machina track that a buddy of mine and I worked on, and the thing was, it was in the same key as the Smile song. Um, it was an unfinished version of a remix of an M Project track uh, called Happy Days. Uh, we never finished it. Well, we did finish it, but we never finished it early on. And so um, the proto unfinished version I took and I put the smile song vocals on top of it and like kind of sweetened them a little bit and like touched up the thing because I had the project files and everything and it worked perfectly. And so that song was kind of like a this is a song you're going to take to every show. Because I think I think when I when I go back and I and I think of all the cons I ever played, everyone had a set list. There wasn't like you heard a, someone set and it was like, oh my god, it's brand new every time. Everyone had a set list, and so it may have variated a little bit, deviated from the normal plot, but like for you'd hear months months after months after months you'd hear the same tracks from them over and over again so like for me i just had like kind of two or three songs i i picked and i was either producing more or getting more stuff that i would play out that just felt appropriate for the live setting and that song was always the one that i always liked to play live and because it had the sing-along factor mm -hmm. everyone fucking knows the smile song so it's like you have that in your arsenal and that, that's the ammo. You, you you play it either crucial moments. You play it in the middle to kind of like keep energy moving or you play towards the end when everyone's already kind of like dead, but you want to build it back up for that last little, last little, uh, that little, little oomph. Yep. So that was always the song that I brought to the table uh, where it was just like, you know, it's, it's a highly energetic track. It's got like the fun video game breakdown. Uh, and these are all elements of the song that I had in the original remix with my with my friend, and and so like I wanted to maintain that, but also like do. It's not quite a bootleg. It's just the it's just the instrumental of the original, and we took out the vocals, and I put in my own vocals, and and I kind of cheated, but I produced the song, so it's not really <laughs> cheating at the same time. It's a mashup, darling. It's a mashup. It. It is a mashup. It, it, yeah. So, like, if you look at the whole title of the song, it's like, wow, that's a lot of words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll we'll play another, a different Smile remix towards the end of the show. Um, but one of the tracks that you sent me through um, that was part of a lot of part of your early set list. And I, I don't know if you've ever if you've ever played a con without playing Love and Friendship. Um, but 
Can we talk about love and friendship for a minute? Um, so, to me, that 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 sounds like a song that um, uh, you know sort of leans more into instead of just sampling from the show. Like, uh, like it, it's an original work. It it draws on the themes of the show and like it, you know with a how, what was it like going in and producing that with Rena Chan? Um, and did you did you write the lyrics or did Rena Chan like write the lyrics? Uh, all the all the lyrics are my original. Um, I wanted I wanted something that was indicative of the UK hardcore uh, kind of upfront vocal hardcore scene, um, but also felt like it had its own presence in the fandom mm -hmm. uh, because it was supposed to be the story. If you if you like, she even re-recorded all the little like Twilight Sparkle samples that I originally used in the song. Oh, love like that! The, like it's not over yet and stuff like that. She re-recorded those, and because I knew that she did the Twilight Sparkle voice from the um the the MOV series, uh, I was like, okay, if I'm gonna get anyone to do the vocals, I want her to do them. And she was more than back in the day, she was more than willing to do those. So like, you know, I I I got in on the on the whole like before she was voicing a major video game and anime series and things like that. Got in there right before she was. Well, maybe it was a couple of years off, so I, I, I maybe had another year or two window. But yep. she was definitely doing collabs left and right, so it, it was perfect timing. Um, yeah. But she was she was up to do it. Like the the most I had to do was like do like a simple like for I just had to like record kind of a, a melodic sing along version of the thing. It's like here here's how it's here's like what you're going to be singing uh, examples stuff like that. Uh, and then she sang like a kind of multi layered. Um, she voiced the main six doing the chorus and it's like it's so funny and cheesy and I loved it I was like I have to put it in because it's just so silly it's like it's perfect for hardcore like if you look back at like early 90s hardcore it was all full of cheese just like that it's like it's it's so silly and fun I was like I don't care I'm putting it in the track I don't give a shit I'm not gonna play it live because like it's like first of all the song is too long the version I made is like six or seven minutes long or something like that and that's too long for a live setting there's too many breakdowns <laughs> there's not enough stuff for people to dance to yeah and it's like between the breakdowns I do play I, I need to try to like keep the energy moving but if you play the full version of the song just casually, you get that little treat with like the the silly violin breakdown and all that kind of like orchestral stuff. I know a lot of people were into the orchestral stuff, and I was like, I'm just gonna toss this in with with no knowledge of how to mix the uh, orchestral version. So it sounds very high end, heavy, and it's 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 bad, but it's just it's fun. I don't know. It's it, it's so stupid. It's one of my favorite songs that I've ever made because it was like. It was the first time I was like, I'm making something for the community, and I hope you guys like it. I don't give a shit. Yeah, and, and actually, let's let's give the, let's give this track a play because it is a gorgeous song. Um, I it yeah, it, and I think it really just encapsulates sort of what fandom music can be. Um, it's just yeah, it's just a lovely track. So yeah, um, let's play "Love and Friendship" featuring Rena Chan um, from it's this is this very late 2012. And let's skip the DJ intro as well. Ooh. Not liking that. Why are you? Oh, fuck. It's. Ah! Shit. All right, let's try it. Again. <laughs> 
something that she learned. Let's get a little, let's get a little tie up at the end there. Yeah, yeah, it's not, uh, yeah. It's, it's such a great track. They just, they don't make hardcore like they used to. None of the, there's no seven minute tracks in hardcore anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, I, me and, uh, it was me and Zovi trying to prove them all wrong. Yep. Yep. Are you are you a just a un, completely unrelated to horse fan? Are you a are you a, a UK hardcore boomer? Do you think do you think hardcore was better in the old days? I think hardcore went through phases. Um, so I, I appreciate all the eras. It, it's one of those things too, where it's like it's like you you look at the modern times, you go, oh man, the last. The last four years were really good, and then four years ago you were going, "Oh God, the last four years were the best times." And then <laughs> the last four years before that, it's like you kept going through phases, and it's like you never really got satisfied with the changes. Uh, right now, at least hardcore is going through a weird sort of like, and the thing that I've always talked about too, as somebody who's been a hardcore historian, I guess the genre goes through phases of le leeching off of other big genres it's never stood on its own it's basically just been a 170 version of everything else that everyone else is doing and trying to make energetic in your face fuck you tracks that's what hardcore has been all about it's like oh you 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 pioneered side chaining Cool. Let's do that at 170 BPM. <laughs> and then, like, put in some fucking electro baseline or something on top of it. Yeah, that's always been hardcore. I've never been ashamed about what hardcore does. Uh, I just, I focus on the good tracks that come out of it. There's always been dumb, stupid songs that come out of hardcore. That's never going to stop. The, everyone's going to do cash grab tracks. Everyone's going to do their silly songs. Everyone's going to do their, like, let me try this. If it works, it's fine. And if it doesn't work, I don't care. Uh, I just I just released a song. Uh, so I I like to sit in that sort of thing. You know, like, do something good. Do something silly. Do something for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like your your discography has definitely lived up to that. Like, you know, as, as well as the sort of more traditional upfront UK hardcore, you've got plenty of free formation in there. And... Um, you know like the odd, the odd gabba track every now and again do you feel like your style has evolved uh, as well over time um especially with your brony music oh 100 100 percent. i i mean i will always stick to my sort of like late 90s hardcore early 2000s Late 90s, early 2000s hardcore is what I love the most as in terms of DJing, in terms of production. Just that sound was so energetic and raw. And I feel like even though all the songs that came out of that era were so solid, there's so much more. There was there was way more meat on that bone that was not ripped off. And we we, we really needed to get into that and like deep dive into what the uh 98 to 02 sound of hardcore could offer there were so many tracks i wish had come out uh even even some that were like never released things like that just from the community itself but like for me like things that i was like working on and i never got to release it's like oh i, I wish i could have produced this because it had the notions of the sound that i wanted and never came out 
Uh, and then we look at like earlier, earlier stuff um, had its merit because uh, it's more stripped down, more minimalistic, had a lot more limitations. A lot of cool stuff was going on then. And then now, um, the the even the modern stuff, it's like I, I probably have to look up tutorials on it. I'm all self-taught, so like everyone that comes up with these crazy like techniques, everyone has to start somewhere. Everyone has to figure out their own way to make their sound. But like I got to a point where I hit my limit of like what I know and what I've taught myself. It's like. I probably should start taking lessons and how to progress my sound further if I ever want to do something more modern. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, and yeah, like, definitely, I think your, your sound has definitely served you well. Um, and, you know, a lot of your tracks, especially from that era, sound quite tight today. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, always, there's always further to go. Um, just having a look through your discography, there's not a lot in the way of collaborations in terms of your actual own productions. Was that a, a choice because of limitations or just like a, a, a stylistic choice? So the, I don't know. It, it, may, it may have been, it may have been just my inability to connect with people i guess i don't know the the rare chances i ever collabed um god at least for the fandom the only time i think i can i've ever collabed was was uh i collabed with laser and and that was that was released but it was like not really a collab it was more like a, a release of a remix and then there was another, um, I can't remember the name they went with at the time. I know the name they use now, but I can't remember the name they use. And that never got released. And then Zovi, which, funny enough, Zovi is the reason I have my name. Yeah, talk, so, talk to us about Additive Subtractive. Where, where'd this name come from? Okay, so Zovi, Zovi is a big name Maybe, maybe, maybe it's still an underground name, but Zovi is a big name in the community as Super Saw Hoover. So Super Saw Hoover is kind of a funny name because you don't use a Super Saw to make a Hoover, but it is like two. It is two synths that people commonly use to make music. So like Super Saw Hoover, I thought was a really good name. I was like, that's that's. That's good, and it fits the theme of making, like, a, a, a pony name. So, I was like, what are my two favorite synthesizers to produce with? It's like, well, additive synthesis and subtractive synthesis. <laughs> so, if you know anything about synthesis, you know what those mean. And so, it's it's a very simple name, but it's, it's like, rooted wholly in like production qualities that's that was what i was going for it it's more so a piss take than anything but it also just kind of became like it started as a joke and it just became what i was doing yeah that's 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 a really nerdy name as well i love that i love that a lot yeah uh, <laughs> um but you you you, you did so even though you weren't collaborating in, on a production sense, um, if I feel like on every single time you were performing, you were alongside Tetsuo um, and sort of working together a lot, you know, him being your hype man um, and 
just being friends and that sort of thing. And also, at, at one point, you were in a, like a, a super group called the Savory with uh, Fenning, Tetsuo, and Garnica. Um, what what was that about? Because I <laughs> I was researching and it's like I just heard all of these mentions of the Savory, and it I, I feel like the hashtag broke Brony Twitter in 20, 2013 or twenty fourteen. Um, yeah, what was all that about? Yeah, so um, I think without Tetsuo, uh, I wouldn't have gotten as far as I did. So definitely a big shout out to him. Uh, we we have gone through some uh, tumultuous things in the past. It's kind of broken up now, but he's doing his own thing. I'm doing my own thing. You know, we, we, we existed and we grew as people. Uh, same thing, same thing with, uh, with Garnica and Fenning. Uh, we've all gone our, our ways after our time in the fandom. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, one day we might see a podcast with them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, you got you got your work cut out for you. We'll just say that. Absolutely. So with 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 that with the, with the savory, um, obviously starting out, uh, Tetsuo definitely had bigger presence than I did. He had a more sort of approachable uh, music class, and he was getting more shows and uh, presence in the community. Just because he's more an out- outgoing guy, I'm I'm not really a, a front front man kind of guy. I'm I'm just like I'm just more, you know, play my play my songs, do a little dance, hang out, and then and then like kind of duck away, go back to my hotel room, sort of thing. I'm I'm, and it's just how I'm wired. I'm not I'm not like antisocial or anything, but like I I just it's how I how I operate. Like and in, I in the way that so many different music producers are, and people that are really passionate about music are um it's it's i i think that the stereotype of the extroverted dj producer is just fucking should be put down the toilet because so many people i talk to are just like nope i'm shy uh yeah i'm quiet not with not with yeah, people no, and it, it's not even about being shy it's just like i i i, I apply my energies where i need them to <laughs> so if if i get on stage um I would honestly prefer just just being laid in the cut, uh, just play my set and move off. But like everyone's, you know, people want people want you to get on the mic and people want you to be a hyper person and 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 danceable and all that kind of stuff. And so I can do that. I can I can expend the energy when I need to. Uh, I just you know, if I don't need to, I won't. So I I I know how to pick my battles for sure. Tetsuo was always on. He was always a hundred percent on, and so that was fine. That's why I, I was good to hang out with him. That's why I was good to hang out with Garnica. Garnica's same thing. He had that sort of mentality. He had that sort of like always on sort of uh, sort of situation, and and so it's like it was funny to see them when they're in, in when they're in people mode, always on. When you bring them back to the hotel room, though, when you're just vibing, they're they're silent. They, they like they talk when they need to, but they are not on. Like they need to be in a social setting. So it was the total opposite. You get us in the hotel room. I'm the one that's always fucking blasting off, talking. I'm drinking. I'm having fun, just like goofing around and being silly. But I'm not being a hi- I'm not being hyper when I'm on stage. I, I that's why it's like <laughs> you ever catch me on stage. I probably had a drink or two beforehand. 
Or at least asking for, like, stuff when I'm on stage. At least water or something. But, like, I'm definitely, like, I need, I need like, at least a drink or two before I go on stage because I gotta, I gotta kind of melt the facade and just sort of, like, melt into the show and just be like, how would I play this show if I was somebody in the audience? I'd mm-hmm. want to be having fun. I'd want to be doing this and that. And that's how I feel like Tetsuo sort of represents himself without needing any influences. He's just like, I'm just here to vibe. I'm here to fucking have a good time. And like, oh, I could press play on this thing and all of a sudden I'm making the vibe. Yeah, I can't do that. I gotta I gotta I gotta have some sort of like at least sort of like I gotta start rolling into it sort of thing. Anyway, getting <laughs> off track. The savory. The savory, yes, it is me who is Bobby Wasabi. We have uh, uh, King, King Conundrum, who is Garnica. We have uh, Duke Disco, who is Tetsuo. And then we have um, Thinning's name was... Oh, no. I may have mixed them up. <laughs> we had Duke Disco, King Conundrum, Bobby Wasabi, and... Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens was finning. There you go. Those were the original names. Those are the, you can't. I mean, you can't change those now. The, the, if somebody can pull up the uh, the thing, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure any of them can fact check us. Yep. So we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna roll with that. Those are the, the original names, and I'm sticking by that. Uh, anyway, this was a group that we formed because one day Tetsuo. Hits up on, hits us up on Twitter. He well, he tags us on Twitter, and he's like, "I had a dream that we were a DJ group, like like uh, like Crookers or um, fucking Buddy Nam Nam or some some sort of like big DJ group who like it's like they require at least three people, like uh, above and beyond that kind of thing." Swedish House anyway, Mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, he's like, I I, I had a dream. It was me, and it was me and. Uh, Additive Subtractive and Fanning and Garnica and we were a big group called The Savory and we were playing uh, we were playing Ultra I can't remember what the fuck it was but it was like I was like I was like bet let's make a track <laughs> and at the time I mean Big Room House Big Room House and Fidget House were huge at the time so me and Garnica and Fanning got to work because Fen- uh, Tetsuo didn't really write tracks at the time uh, but me, Fenning, and Garnica did. So we kind of got together. I wrote um, ca- uh, Cash Bandicoot. And the flip side to that was... Uh... Oh, the whistle song or something? What the fuck was it called? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just saw this and I was just like, "What is, what is happening here?" So, you, did you form this like with the intention of playing at pony conventions, or was that just like an incidental of, like, we now have this this big group of people who regularly play at pony conventions. Let's play it. The name was Samba Whistle. Anyway, yes, we did because uh, we played as the Savory uh, at Fiesta Equestria. And then we played as a DJ outfit at TrotCon. And we also played as uh, the Savory fully for the first time at um, Ciderfest. That was the first time that all four of us were at a convention together 
and we were just goofing off on the decks. And the Cider Fest, I think it was Cider Fest 16 or something, maybe? 16, yeah, 15 or 16. So it was a while back. But yeah, so if you if you want to look back at the actual EP, the Savory EP that we released was the Cash Bandicoot EP. I did the major production on Cash Bandicoot, and then Fenning and Garnica did the major production on Samba Whistle. I got a little bit of creative input on Cash Bandicoot from Silva Hound because I finished it in the hotel room at Fiesta Equestria in 2014. And then I got a little bit of input from Tetsuo as well. So it kind of made it a full... It, it included all four of us. There you go. Yeah, that, that rules. Um, yeah, and was, I, I, I have just... It, it seems to be one of those things that's just completely faded from memory. Like, I only discovered it, like, researching this show. Um, just one of those strange short-lived projects in the pony fandom that seems to generate like lots of crazy hype at the time and then just like <laughs> i'm sure there's a couple of people now that look back on it going oh yeah um but yeah it was a cool a cool a cool yeah, thing to watch the, the sets the, the sets looked hype. the savory was a big thing for a little bit yeah 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 um the sets looked hype though um the audience audience reaction looked great um but you know 20, 2013, 2014, big room is a good sound. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and and so I think I think it was our 2014 Fiesta set, Fiesta Equestria set that was our first like full. It was our full. It was for, it was a full savory set. We just didn't have Garnica at the time. I dedicated like two or three tracks to him, and I think I got on the mic and made jokes about posting this video to Reddit because the year before was the Midley video where he's like, <laughs> he's like, he takes off the sweater and he's like yep. dancing around on stage. And then the guy like holding the laptop with the other guy falls off the stage. Like that was like the year before that. So we had to upstage that. And so I was like, Oh my God, how are we going to do this? We can't. It's, we're just doing a normal DJ set. So I was like, I was like, I think I got on the mic and I was like, yo, let's post this shit to Reddit. <laughs> Being silly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the video you were describing earlier is would probably be best known to people as uh, like, I think it's like brony hardstyle DJ cringe. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a classic probably, video. Probably, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 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 I, I, I remember I remember there was a time when uh, Midley leaned hard into that at... Uh, uh, Midwest Brony Fest or something. He was invited to that in 2016 or 2015 or something like that, and I was there too. And he he leaned super hard into the whole thing and tried to like do one last hurrah with it, and it just came off as like very bad. <laughs> um, it was it was it was upsetting. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about the transition. I, I think from um sort of those early fandom 2013 2014 at the real peak of the convention bubble to sort of more 2015 and 16 um uh like you slowed down a lot on your production um in in those years like you were still um releasing a couple of tracks every year and i i believe you slowed down as well on your convention performances a bit um was uh yeah, what, what, what prompted those decisions? And um, yeah, how, how did you feel about the fandom in those years? So essentially, the biggest 
thing was the inspiration from the show. Once I made the decision to lean into the show and be like, I want to receive inspiration and do either remixes or just just hear it like uh, one of my heroes is a person who can hear a sample or hear something and go, oh, I can get inspiration just from that. So when when my when my lack of inspiration began, that's when that transition started. And so I wanted to focus more on quality than quantity because I was like, you know what? I, I I'm watching these episodes every week and I'm not feeling so inspired. I'm just feeling like I'm following along with the story, having a good time. I like the show. But I'm not really getting anything anymore in terms of like, oh my god, every episode is like giving me an idea. Or, uh, oh, I'm thinking about that last episode again from last week. Now I have an idea. It's like, now I'm like, I'm rarely getting ideas, so let's make them count. And so it was more so I started getting into the idea of the quality. And so I started implementing different ideas in terms of production. I was trying out new synthesizers. I was trying out new techniques that I had learned about because in the in, from 2010 to 2020, a lot of stuff was going on in the world of production. There was a lot of weird things going on um, that were like groundbreaking in terms of production, but not really in terms of like the genre. It was like the genre knows about this. All you've done is take what you've we've done before and make it a little bit cooler. Like the biggest thing I can think of is when they introduced Pip Kicks in uh like raw style. Beep beep beep. Oh, like, I love Pip. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Yeah, it's like it's like everyone loves it, but it's like I mean raw style really just you could take a normal gabber kick and it'd be just it'd be the same thing. All you've done is change the kick. Yep. But it's the same music. It's like you haven't really done anything with the genre. It's like we we we've sort of reached the peak of all of these genres. So like all we can do is kind of like progress the sound a little bit, uh, like remove some limitations, this and that. So like that's really all I stuck with. I was like, okay, so what was I not able to do uh, three years ago? What can I do now in in this time? And that's what I focus on more. Yeah, cool. Um, but you know, you you did sort of keep keep in touch with the fandom. You you're still a regular at Brony Palooza, um, and I think I think one of the the songs that sums up that sort of approach of, of the the later part of your your time in fandom is your Smiles and Balloons remix of um, a non size uh, of, of a non sci. Um, can you talk to me about what uh, sort of went into making that track um, and how that came about? Yeah, size remix um it actually is kind of funny i was looking for things at the time very strange very strange thing where i was like I, I just happened to be looking for horse tracks we'll just say and so i i, I don't remember what led me to this but this is the, i saw like the smiles and balloons and it had like the like little Japanese text and everything, and I was like, "What is this? Let's go in. Let's let's have a listen." And I, and it's just like, 
It's like the absolute rudimentary happy hardcore track. It's like it's like and I was like, okay, I like this immediately. So I listened to it and I kind of in my brain I registered like a basic melody and then I I I transposed that melody into something that I would use in a song and I was like, fuck it. Smiles and Balloons remix. I don't even care if it's official. I'm just making it. And I'm listing it as a remix of this song. If uh, Psy acknowledges it, fine. If if uh, they don't, I don't give a shit. You know, it's, it's, I, it's my interpretation, which is when we look at what a remix is, if, if we look at a, like a, a dictionary uh, interpretation of what a remix is, it's essentially like you take the original song and either rearrange it using your own instruments or you rearrange its components into a way that fundamentally changes the initial song of its release. So that's what I came up with. Uh, it's a really good little Machina bounce kind of style track, which is something I've been kind of focusing on lately. So it's it's something in the last three years, three four years of my production that I really like to hone in on. Yeah, sweet. Well, let's give it a spin because uh, it rules, um, <laughs> and it's a great track. Um, so yeah, this is Smiles and Balloons, um, additive subtractive remix from twenty seventeen. Now let's skip the intro.
Uh, you know what you got to do with that, right? You got to put a banging donk on it. <laughs> listen, listen. What's your fa what is your favorite drink? Um, uh, uh, soju. How happy would you be if balloons flew over that drink? Oh, <laughs> I'd be the happiest man alive. You'd be it'd be so fun, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I always love the lyrics of that fucking little interlude. <laughs> You're more fun than the color pink or balloons flying over your favorite drink. You know, I've, like, never, I've never even thought about that before. When you, when, when, when you break down the lyrics of that little section, you're just like... Man, Pinky is, Pinky is like seventh brain... Tool album art brain and in interdimensional fucking shit going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so it's yeah, re real gigantic brain stuff. Uh, just be just possibly one of the most irritating, but also one of the most iconic characters in, in Pony. Like, oh she, yeah, it like it's 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 the whole franchise taken to its logical extreme in so many ways. And God, we love her. Yeah. Um. Yeah, one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, sweet. Um, so looking back on your time in the fandom, um, how, how did you feel about, um, like sort of where you'd be, uh, without Pony and, um, f from, uh, as both a person and, and as a musician? I was talking about this with my roommate who, my roommate is, uh, one of the fan fiction writers, uh, from, from yesteryears. Uh, and we both agreed because we were talking about this I was talking about how I was doing this um, a little, a couple hours ago with him, and he was like, "Yeah, I wouldn't have traded what we did for anything." Like, I, I feel like it was a positive influence on our lives. Um, it definitely got me out of my shell in terms of like at the time, um, I was just writing music for myself. I was just being very selfish. I was uh, doing things. Maybe I was collaborating with a couple of buddies of mine, but like. Ultimately, I was just, I was going to university. I was just keeping to myself. I wasn't really doing anything. And had it not been for the fact that my song got on an album, and then I released more songs and got on Cloudsdale Congress because the the good faith of some uh, some generous people, and then I started touring nonstop. I would be in a different place right now for sure. I would not be who I am now. I would be not be as outgoing. I would not um, feel uh, the way I do about uh, communities and fandoms and things like that. Um, I would just be kind of reserved. I'd, I'd probably just still be the same person, just like playing games online and like I just, you know, work paycheck to paycheck, do whatever, uh, just live that nine to five or whatever. And um, I, I don't think I'd, I'd be where I am. Like right now, I'm not in a space that allows for creativity. That's for sure. I'm, I'm sad about that. Uh, I haven't had the drive to really release any mu new music anytime, but at the very least I'm stable. Um, and I, I feel, um, that I don't have any regret for what I've done for the last, uh, couple of years. Um, especially, especially in terms of uh, like what I've done with the fandom and, and the community and everything like that. But uh, it, it's like, you know, we, we take a day, we, we, we build it as we fly, as they say, you know, so uh, I, I, I don't think I don't think I have any reservations about what I've done and I wouldn't trade it. So 
Yeah, awesome. And and you still do like pop up with Pony Productions every now and again. Like you did the awesome Lickety Split uh, track on uh, Pink Meaning Party Thunderdome. Um, so uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm so glad to hear you, you still got a, a, a positive association with the fandom. Do you see yourself coming back? Um, sort of more. I don't know, in, intensely at any point? Or is, do you think it might just be something that hits you when the inspiration strikes? Yeah, no, like you said, when, when the inspiration strikes, I have a couple songs that are unreleased that were just general ideas that I had never finished, uh, that I wanted to, and I just never put in the drive because they were fun ideas, but never really had, like, they couldn't have been more than a three-minute release track. They were so short of an idea. And I wanted to release fun DJ tools like that, but the thing was, there were no DJs like me. There were, at least not at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So there was no motivation to release, like, three-minute hardcore DJ tools. And then we had AWOL, we had people like you, we had people like, um, oh, shit, um, uh, 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 John, um... John Kenza? Yeah, John Kenza. We had, um... We we had barely anyone who, like who was afraid, uh, not afraid to go above one seventy, and it was like, unless it was popular in dance music, nobody was going over one seventy regularly or at least in their sets. Mm -hmm. So we had like small handful. So I was like, I had no motivation to release any DJ tools to these people. I wanted to provide. But nobody was playing my music for the longest time. And then, like, now that I've kind of, like, stepped away from the scene, suddenly we have, like, six fucking people making, uh, playing hardcore music. And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> I was here the whole time. Where the fuck were you? <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was, uh, I think I was nine. Or I was eight or nine when you released your first track. Um, so that's where I was. <laughs> well, uh, well, okay. It's, but yeah, it's yeah. fine. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, absolutely. It's like, it's, like, dude, it's not like the fandom didn't exist. But yeah, everyone yeah. was like, oh my god, if I can't play Wubs, then I'm going to quit. Yep. Yeah, And it's yeah. like, cool. You're going to be five of the seven DJs playing the same music. And then you might get somebody playing House, and then you might get somebody playing something else. And so it's like, I I hate if you have a niche you don't want to have it not represented by underground music. And it's like the Pink Amina Party albums speak testament to that because it's like there are plenty of people who are willing to make these kind of tracks but there was no motivation to do it. And all I was doing was making songs for my own. So when um before you prompted me on this whole thing I you had asked me about like songs that I liked and I, of, of that I made and I was like, oh my god, I've made a lot of tracks, and it's like, yeah, I had to out of necessity because there's nobody else. It was me and assertive, yep, and Fozogs, and uh, at a lesser extent, maybe uh, towards the end, Delta Rise and. Uh, What's his name? Never last standing or something? Yep. Um Apex Sky? And, yeah. Um and Kenza and uh, a uh a a I think was the name that was, a that yeah, was a that. Apex Apex was really early. 
Um, yeah, that was like 2011. An alias of a friend of mine. I, f I later found out. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I have I have no idea where Apex has gone or who Apex is. All I know, I have three songs that only AWOL seems to, to know um, because they've been deleted from everywhere else. Um, and yeah, I really like Apex's music. Uh, there stuff. is um, a, another uh, person on the uh, Pink Amina Party team, uh, Spikey Wikey, who released some early Pink Amina Party stuff as well. Uh, oh man, it, it, the thing is, like, they're, they're way less obvious on their aliases. I'm super obvious on my aliases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, uh, so, uh, as well as that, um, your, do you have a proudest accomplishment in the Pony fandom? Or, or, or a proudest moment? Probably my Bronicon 16 set. Because... That was a time when the fandom was super separated in terms of, like, the community creators and music. And a lot of people were like, oh my god, I hate going to Bernie Palooza because everyone's just going to play top 40 music. And I was like, if you take away the one technically non-Bernie song, which was, my, which was my remix, in fact, of... Pink Fluffy Unicorns Dancing on Rainbows, my set was 100% fandom-related. And so, if you take into effect... If you take into account the fact that my Pink Fluffy Unicorns remix was fandom-related... That's, that's a whole Then track. my set was 100% related. Exactly, yeah. So, there's no excuse. There are people who are willing to play 100% uh you know fandom related songs you just you know you have to you have to go with what sells yeah so absolutely. I, I was in that weird phase where i was like i was like they brought me on stage and i tailored my set to what i was playing because i am a dj first and foremost i also like the show so I produce tracks, I curate music, I pick the songs, and everything that I put on that stage that night was 100% related to the show, was 100% related to music that you would want to hear. Whether or not it was mine, it was also other people I picked from the fandom, and I played it on stage. So, I did my due diligence. So, when people like insult the people who get up on stage, it's like, well, sometimes they don't just have the opportunity to say, oh, my set was uh, surrounding that. Like, I wanted to play this kind of music, and not everyone produces this kind of music. I did my legwork, and they didn't, so, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't play at the end of the day. And I, I think, um, sort of, I, I joined the fandom in, in 2015, sort of, as the um, Horse or Die Wars was sort of happening. And I, I, I think the renaissance of 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 music at pony conventions um because I, I think it, it musicians like much more respected than they were live live performances are much more respected now uh th than when they were in that time and i think it really has been because like you know, you know conventions put their foot down and said no like you have to be playing horse music otherwise like why the fuck are you here and so, like all of every contract i've signed for a 
to play at a convention you know when, when i've been djing and i've only been here for like three or four years has said like you have to play at least 60 70 percent horse music and i think the fandom's better off for it so I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that that's something that you felt was positive for you as an artist um because i think we see the results for the fans like quite quite drastically but it's, it's always good to hear an artist support that um yeah well yeah and it's nice if they hear that uh, other other cons are taking it as seriously, that kind of feedback. Because when you take the biggest convention for this scene in the world, like if our niche does not meet expectations and we're the biggest, what can we expect from like the lessers? Absolutely. So you know, if everyone holds themselves to a certain standard, then we then there's no lo losing at the end of the day. If we get back to that point where we have this sort of convention that's like everyone in the world for this one, um, and who's to know what the future holds for that? But like at the moment, um, like you said, if, if if there's a standard being held to the performers and the artists and the uh, writers and things like that. If, if if the community itself holds itself to a standard, um, that's what keeps the community growing, rather than just being like, okay, this is just a gateway to other communities. Like, here's my here's my niche. I'm just gonna just fucking introduce you to this as a gateway from this. Yeah. So, uh, you upfront present that where it's like, yeah, here's your goal. Uh, you know, have a have a fourteen song mix. Uh, if twelve of those are your own or show related, great. You can have the one or two, just kind of interstitial songs. But you should really focus on what. What are you here for? <laughs> you know? Yeah, what's yeah. What's the point of showing up? What's the point of applying? What's the point of being introduced? What's the point of being invited? if you're not going to be a member of the community. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. And, and on that subject of the, of the future, um, what does the future hold for Additive Subtractive? Do you have any specific plans um, for where you're taking, um, taking you know, the alias with, with music or anything like that? I would like to uh, finish the show for sure. There's a lot of episodes I haven't seen yet. Um, and then going forward, that's the biggest thing. It's like I, I want to know what's going on with this new, uh, with this new season. Um, I, I we'll see. It, it at the at the moment, it seems very much like it's sort of up in the air. Uh, it's like in terms of what was once there with with the community and with the fandom, um it's not the same anymore obviously it, even more so with the fact of the, the shift in guard of the show but like uh if there's something that's there that i want to listen to and and, and be like okay i can, I can see ideas from that um we might see we might see a future release but at the moment um i i have a couple unreleased uh unfinished ideas that have been in the works 
for uh, some Pink Amina Party releases. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have enough motivation to finish them. Also, uh, uh, nobody else wanted to collaborate with me, so um, they went unfinished. It is what it is. Uh, but other than that, like I, I at the moment, I'm just kind of like holding on to my laurels. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And, and it's, you know, so many of the artists that I've spoken to on this show, it's just like, no bad feelings, just not inspired. Might do it again if I'm inspired. And I think that's a, I think that's a great place to leave the, to, the, to well, not to leave the fandom, but to sort of, you know, to feel about the fandom. Because, you know, you're not writing yourself off and you're not keeping yourself going just for the sake of it. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right, final question. Um, so at the end of every show, uh, I like to ask my guests who they want to hear interviewed on this show. Um, and you were actually suggested as a guest by Odyssey. Um, so uh, I was, I, you, I had you on my wish list, but when she said, I want to hear Additive Subtractive Story, I was like, well, obviously we're bumping that up the, up the, uh, up the ladder then. Um, so yeah, who do you want to see interviewed on the show? Who do you think would have a good story to tell about their time making Pony Music? <laughs> Jessa, Jessa recommended me. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Oh my god, I have to thank you for that. Um. Oh my god. Hmm. Have you have you have you uh, have you thought of Geek yet? Geek Brony. Yes. No, I no, I didn't even think about Geek Brony. That's a good suggestion. Geek is a very good suggestion. I okay. think Geek is incredible incredibly underrated mm -hmm. and i never use the terms underrated or overrated so you know i'm serious about that okay um i think geek would be a, a huge asset to um especially at the moment because geek is popping off mm -hmm. in, in in terms of what i see on the radar um definitely got the got got the last clinch in for bronycon uh, got a couple other uh, gigs recently related off of that, and it's like, dude makes some solid fucking tr tracks too. Golly, the only other person I could recommend, uh, if we're gonna go big, is Violet. Obviously, yeah, yeah, she's on but, the list. I've emailed her, so hopefully we get a response at some but, point. But I, I would say, I would say, Geek is much more on the casual sort of like this level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel different things about geek than I do Violet because Violet, she is, she is something in terms of like social communication. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, you're not the first guest, not the first, you're actually the third guest to su suggest Violet. And she is one of the, I did, I listen, I did this an afterthought. Absolutely. I, I, I figured some people would, yeah. but I said, I said geek first. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, geek is a great suggestion. So we'll put him on the list. Um, all right. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I've really appreciated, um, hearing all these stories and, and really, really nerding out, um, about what, what is probably my favorite genre of music, um, as well. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, where can people find you, uh, if you, they want to find your music? Oh boy. So if you uh look me up on SoundCloud. Uh oh my god. It's AS plus minus. Well, my Twitter is AS underscore plus minus. 
my SoundCloud, I have a SoundCloud that is mblock, uh, and I also have a SoundCloud that is, uh... oh my god, what did I change it to this time? <laughs> Sorry? I thought I kept it the same. What is my SoundCloud? What is my current SoundCloud? Uh, it's oh, just additive no. subtractive, I think. Is it additive subtractive? Yeah. All one word? Yep, all one word. Additive subtractive, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's a rarely updated thing, so if you want to look for my music anyway, that's the thing. If you want to keep up with me, yeah, twitter.com slash as underscore plus minus. I'll keep that forever. Um, yeah, that's really about it. Sweet. Um, and I think I there was one song that I, I didn't play uh, during the actual uh, interview, but I want to I want to leave the audience uh, because it is a great song. It's one of my favorite Pink Amina Party songs ever. Um, it's by Cummies Man. Um, so uh, oh, content warning as well. Uh, content warning for um, uh, yeah, sexual references and like I don't know, like the ISIS anthem. Uh, 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 <laughs> so yeah, if you don't want if you don't want to hear that, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. So I I think uh, let's let's leave leave with um one of my favorite tracks of yours uh, that probably doesn't doesn't get heard very often. Uh, uh, Cummy's man. Uh, three well endowed fillies cause a cum calamity, um, which is just a laugh and I think a, a great a great place to leave it. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and um, I'll see you around, I guess. I, well, maybe, probably not. Yes, I, I don't know if I'm gonna be in... Me in the future. Absolutely. Oh fuck! I love this song so much. <laughs>
really giving me a clue right now. I'm starting to get a clue too. My clue's kind of pointing this way. Oh, yeah, no, I got a total clue. I still got a raging clue. My clue's pointing over there now. <laughs> oh, let's follow that clue. Hmm, who would benefit most from two buildings disappearing? Oh. 